0: It was a crime of contempt. One young man's logic misguided through the onslaught of insanity. His name remains unspoken, but his crime is unforgettable. This is his story.
1: True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been and am. (laughs) Why would you say that I'm mad? The disease sharpened my senses, not destroyed. Not not dull. Above all, the sense of hearing was acute. I heard all things in heaven and in hell. Oh, I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It's impossible to say how the first idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object, there was none. Passion, there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had an eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Mad Madmen know nothing, but you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it oh so gently. And then... When I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a lantern, dark, all closed, closed, so no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it in slowly, very, very slowly, so I may not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening, so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have done something as wise as this? And then, when my head was well within the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I did it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. This I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, so it was impossible to do the work. It was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So, you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in on him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph, to think that I was there, opening the door little by little, and he not even dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was black as pitch with thick darkness, for the shutters were closed and fastened through the fear of robbers. And so I knew he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on, steadily, steadily. I had my head in. I was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quiet, still. I said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. And in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in bed, listening, just as I had done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan. And I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it had welled up from my own bosom, deepening with a dreadful echo. The terrors that distracted me, oh, I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him. Although I chuckled at heart, I knew that he had been laying awake ever since the first slight noise when he turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, it's nothing but the wind in the chimney, it's only a mouse crossing the floor, or it's merely a cricket who's made a single chirp. Oh yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions. But he found them all in vain, all in vain because death in approaching him had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he never saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a very long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. Oh, you cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a single dim ray like the thread of a spider shot from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open. It was wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, a dull blue with a hideous veil over that chilled my very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but an over acuteness of the sense? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates a soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained. I kept still. I scarcely breathed. I I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime... The hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder. I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I told you that I was nervous, and so I am. And now, at the dead hour of night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house. So strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror, yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained It stood still, but the beating grew louder and louder. I thought his heart must burst, and then a new anxiety seized me. The sound! The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once. Only once. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. Then I smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, his heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, didn't vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length... It ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hands upon the heart. I felt it for many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned. I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. Then I took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. Then I replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught it all. <laughs> Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search. Search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from your fatigues. While I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. (laughs) The officers were satisfied. My manner convinced them. I was simply at ease. They sat while I answered cheerily. They chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting paled and wished them gone. I head ached and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but they sat and still chatted, ringing became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until, at length, I found that the noise was not within my ears. Now, no doubt I grew very pale, but I talked more frequently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased. What could I do? It was a a low, dull, quick sound. Much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton gasp for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I- I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles, a high key with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Oh, why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh, God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved. I swore. I swung the chair in which I had been sitting and grated it across the boards, but the noise arose. Over all and continually increased It grew louder and louder and louder And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no No, they heard They suspected They knew They were making a mockery of my horror. This, I thought, and this, I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now, again, hark, hark, louder and louder and louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here. Here is the beating of his hideous heart. (laughs) Happy Halloween to my daughter, Mary. My uh, daughter, I think her third or fourth grade class, I think it was her third grade class. Uh, Mary asked if I could come in and and read for Halloween, and... uh, and you know, because I was reading, you know, Frankenstein to the kids and everything else when they were young, uh, I didn't think anything of it. And uh, when I got there and started reading, the teacher politely said, "Could could could you could you stop, Mister Beck? You're scaring the children." <laughs> and that's <laughs> was and, it, Telltale Heart. Telltale Heart. And that's uh-huh. how uh, that's how the tradition started with me and Mary, because Mary loved it, loved it. Uh, and so every year, uh, Mary and I get together. We're the only ones because nobody else in the family appreciates it. It's weird. Yeah. And you know, there's something about Edgar Allan Poe. Ingrates, yeah, damn it, right? Brats and ingrates, right? right. That's why I bury them under the floorboards. But what else can you do? Nothing, nothing. So um, first, I peck their eyes out with a crow or a raven. Um, Getting a little dark, (laughs) Uh, darker than burying them under the floorboards. A little bit, yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, it's it's weird because uh, you know these, especially Poe, was written Mm. to be read out loud. Twain is the same. oh yeah for
0: sure it's not the same when you just
1: read it silently no and they're made it was it was made think of this this was their television mm-hmm. and so you know god help you if you lived in a house where people couldn't read or couldn't really read out loud well but i i grew up listening to stories and people reading to me and not my family but my teacher's they would, you know, when I was in elementary school, they would stay in for lunch and we would read books and they would read out loud. And I loved that. Um, and so the the oral telling of stories is just so powerful. Uh, and you can tell when you read today, they're not re- they're not meant to be read out loud. And when you read something like Poe, you can tell, oh, man, mm-hmm. this was made for somebody oh, who it knows how to absolutely
0: read. comes alive.
1: Oh, it's so great. So great. By the way, uh, the Raven, uh, Annabelle Lee, uh, uh, Conqueror Worm. There's a There's a few more, and you can find them on iTunes under under Glenn Beck, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I think they were up probably on uh, BlazeTV.com as well. But we're just going to leave you with the. Uh, the Telltale Heart this year as is our tradition but listen to them with your family tonight do what Mary and I do we light a candle turn off all the lights and then I read them to her you can hear it with all of the production value uh, and they're free just look for them now on iTunes or at TheBlazeTV.com Nothing more scary than the the ghouls in Congress they've passed the uh, impeachment what rules yeah, I don't know what the guidelines they... okay mm-hmm. great all right so uh two hundred eleven um, wait a minute this is part amendment on agreeing to the amendment. I don't know how to read this damn thing this is a new one. So this is another one. So now this one's about the rules. they i oh, I hate Congress so much. I hate them so much. It, it came down on party lines. No Republicans uh wavered, one independent and two uh very brave congress people yeah, that's maybe kind of noble uh and yeah. notable maybe maybe. They're probably in very, very red districts, probably, and they probably had permission to do it because it wasn't hanging on their vote. But still, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, tonight we're going out with the children, uh, and um, and get candy. And you remember when we were kids and we could just go out on our own? We didn't have to go with our parents.
0: Never, never once did I ever. Go trick-or-treating with my parents.
1: Never, never. There weren't parents on the streets, usually, except for the Mm -hmm. little, little kids. Uh, And usually the little, little kids were taken by their... their Older brothers or sisters. Exactly right. Yeah. So Halloween changed, though, in the 1970s, because we suddenly had to go and x-ray all of our candy, because there were razor blades, and people were poisoning. When I was growing up, you would get a popcorn ball, you would get You know, you'd get a candied apple made by the neighbor down the street. It was great. Mm -hmm. It was really great. Um, And that stopped in the late 1970s because of something that happened in Houston. Timothy and his sister Elizabeth anxiously waited for their dad to get home from work. It was Halloween. It was October 31st. They were so excited to go trick-or-treating. As soon as they heard the doorknob turn, they rushed him at the door as he walked through, still clad in his white optician's coat. Ronald rounded up his young children, and he went out trick-or-treating, remembering the times when he was trick-or-treating, now wondering, how did I get so old as I'm walking my kids down the street? He accompanied his children to their friend's first stop of the night, 4112 Donrail Drive. He rang the doorbell. Nothing. The owners were taking much too long to answer the door. Children impatiently ran to the next house, leaving their dad in the dust. When Ronald finally caught up with the kids, he was sporting five giant pixie sticks. The children all greedily grabbed the neon sticks of sugar, but Ronald promised he would distribute the candy among the children when they got back to the house. After all, he was the one that waited. It was really late when they got home. He got the kids ready for bed, but before he fell asleep, Timothy requested a treat from his delicious haul. He chose the crown jewel, a 22-inch giant pixie stick. The sugar had, had stiffened some in the tube, so... Ronald helpfully rolled the candy between his hands to loosen the contents for Timothy. The child hurriedly poured the confection into his mouth. Timothy recoiled. It didn't taste, Dad, like it's supposed to. In fact, it tasted awful. Dad jumped up. Ronald dutifully ran to get some Kool-Aid for his son to wash out the bad taste. But the Kool-Aid didn't make it very far. Timothy immediately started vomiting and convulsing. When the ambulance finally arrived, they found Ronald holding Timothy as he foamed from the mouth. Less than an hour later, Timothy was pronounced dead at the hospital. An autopsy revealed the eight year old had died from a fatal dose of cyanide. The two top inches of the giant pixie stick, Timothy prized so much, contained a dosage of cyanide that was enough to kill two adults. Thankfully, the other poison pixie sticks remained untouched. Ronald sobbed as he hypothesized at what an unidentified monster was handing out to children. He told the police officers he vaguely remembered getting the candy from 4112 Donrail Drive. He didn't get a look at the owner. He only saw a shadowy arm. When police arrived at 4112 they questioned the Melvins but they were confounded when they learned Mr Melvin didn't return home from work until 10:30 that night of Halloween and Mrs Melvin stopped answering the door when she ran out of candy at 6:45 that's before Ronald said he was there not to mention that none of the candy that Mrs Melvin gave out that night were pixie sticks Police interrogated the entire neighborhood and still couldn't find the source of the deadly candy. The dad, who had watched his children rush to his legs to say, Please dad, let's go, it's Halloween, was beside himself. Already having a terrible year and his son's death appeared to push him over the edge with grief. He was $100,000 in debt, eight months behind in car payments, was being threatened with repossession. He held 21 jobs in the last 10 years, and he was struggling hard to keep his latest optician gig. He further strained the family financing by taking out a $10,000 life insurance policy on his children earlier in the year, to which his wife protested as an unnecessary expense she probably would have objected to the additional two $20,000 life insurance policies that Ronald took out on Timothy and Elizabeth on October 3rd, if she had known about them. Mrs. O'Brien would have also been horrified to find out that mere hours after Timothy's murder, her husband called to collect on the policies. Ronald was a man who had never had a parking ticket in his life. By all accounts, he was a dedicated father and a devout member of the Second Baptist Church. But it only took a jury 46 minutes to find Ronald guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Ronald didn't just kill his own son. He is the man responsible for killing Halloween for generations of children yet to be born. He's the reason we had to go to the hospital to have them x-ray everything. He's the reason we could no longer have popcorn balls or candied apples. Ronald Clark O'Brien, also known as the Candyman by his fellow death row inmates, successfully perpetuated the decades-old myth that some despicable people violate Snickers and Milky Way bars with the intent on mercilessly killing innocent children. The truth is, and you should know it this Halloween, police have never documented an actual case of anyone randomly distributing poison goodies to children on Halloween. There is no madman giving out apples with razors, no arsenic-laced Twix. But in 1974, there was one monster who deliberately put cyanide in a pixie stick. His victim wasn't at random. His victim was his own child. So, this Halloween, let your kids eat their candy. Don't scare them with a legend that just isn't true. But I but I also wouldn't tell them about Timothy either. So they didn't vote for impeachment. You know that, right? They voted for yes. the impeachment inquiry, which they should have done in the first place. And I think this is just Nancy Pelosi going, oh, so... The Republicans don't think that we, you know, are doing this officially. Okay. <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty. And your little dog, too. Uh, and so they, uh, are, uh, they've, they've approved the rules for the impeachment probe. And uh, I'm super excited about it. Yay! Yeah. Fun rules,
0: too, I'm sure. I don't know what they all are. I don't think anybody knows what they all are. (laughs) I don't think they But I just really trust that they're going to be really fun.
1: Well, we'll have that for you at 5 o'clock today. Mm -hmm. And if you missed last night's special, make sure you spend some time today. Uh, It's part two of a three-part series. Uh, Last night was Democracy Does Die in Darkness, and we debunked the press. And I don't think there has ever been a more satisfying moment for me in my entire career, and I mean that, the debunking of the press isn't even close. It's not even, I mean, it's not like you can go, well, yeah, but you read it that, no, 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 it's not even close. And uh, I took it to the man uh, and all of the fact-checking.orgs uh, and showed you how they're doing fact-checking on this impeachment, and It's stunning. Stunning. You must do your own research. And I urge you to watch our chalkboards. Uh, you can find them at the If you're not a subscriber, please subscribe. We are we are reliant upon you um, to be able to fund these investigations that we're doing. So please subscribe at blazetv.com slash Glenn. You uh, will save $20 with the promo code GB20 off. So do that now. You'll be able to see the last special and last night special. And I urge you to watch it. If you you watch it, you'll know why the whistleblower, who we found out today who it is, um, you'll know why the Democrats don't have a case at all. At all, because we found out today that the whistleblower worked with a woman named Alexandra Chalupa. Well, now, wait a minute. What? Uh, When you see who this whistleblower is, you can see why they didn't want to release his name and they're doing everything they can to scrub him from the record. Because it totally discredits this movement. Well, let me just say this. We released our chalkboard special on October 3rd. Okay? October mm-hmm. 3rd. October 7th is when they said, "You know what? This whistleblower, we've got another whistleblower. Don't worry about the last whistleblower." Now, now that just might be a coincidence, but I know if you watch the chalkboard and you read the story today, from real clear investigations on who this guy is, you'll know why on October 7th, four days after our chalkboard, why they went, oh, forget about that whistleblower. We got another guy. Because yeah. it only supports our chalkboard. It proves our chalkboard. It
0: shows what they're doing. And as damning as last night' special was, uh, in the third special, just based on the little bit I know of it, is... Maybe more so. Oh, it's... It's chilling. It must... It'll chill you to the bone. Yeah,
1: it must be exposed, and we have to find a way. It happens two weeks from, to, uh, from yesterday. It's going to happen on Wednesday, November 13th, I think it is. And it is critical that you get people to watch this with you. We're going to make it free again. Um, But please subscribe to Blaze TV um, and, and help us. We're trying to make all of these free so people can see them. But this has to reach the American people. When you see what really is happening, what they're trying to protect. I mean, it's the CIA and the State Department in cahoots with the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton and others. And we're going to show you what they're actually doing. And when you see it, you're going to be disgusted. It is everything that even the left says that America should never do. They're doing it right now, and that's what they're covering for. We started on this path back in 2009, and um, we just didn't think it went anywhere. Well, that's because it became classified, and it was hidden. Well... Unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, we dug it up and uh, we saw some names in this Ukraine thing. We went, wait a minute, hold it. I know that name. And that special happens in two weeks. But please share last night's special with your friends. It proves why you must do your own homework and why our chalkboard is so important. Because the what the Democrats say they are impeaching the president on... All of their facts don't make sense truly unless you know my chalkboard. And then when you do know it, it all comes undone. Make sure you check it out now. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. GB twenty off